Hello, and welcome to Building Sustainability Podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Hart, aka Jeffrey the Natural Builder. Building sustainability consists of conversations with designers, builders, makers, dreamers, and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. This is episode 31 and features a conversation with publisher, photographer, builder, documenter, and blogger. Lloyd Kahn. Before introducing Lloyd, I just want to tell you about an upcoming event that is Earthbuilding UK and Ireland, EBUKI, are holding their annual Clayfest conference online this year. For anyone interested in the world of Earthbuilding, it is a fantastic event, normally held in person. This year, due to the big C, it is obviously online. But that has meant that the range of talks can be uh, from further afield. So there's people talking about the Cobb Construction Building Code in the USA, talking about flood-resistant earth construction in Pakistan, uh, Bill and Athena Steen, the most influential uh, straw bale builders and clay specialists. They're giving a talk. Really, it's a whole host of fascinating and inspiring talks for, from the range of earth builders. So if you want to get involved, it's a two-day event from the 27th to the 28th of November 2020. You can find out more details at ebuki.co and then follow the link to Clayfest 2020. Also, if you'd like to support this podcast, you can at our Patreon site, patreon.com forward slash building sustainability. You can give as little as you want uh, and anything is greatly appreciated. Or if you pledge to £5 a month, I will send you a hand-carved wooden spoon. Yes, that's right. As a reward for your subscription, you get to listen to bonus interviews, uh, little extra snippets from conversations, including from this one. Uh, and you also get to ask questions of the upcoming guests. I've just put a list of the next couple of months worth of interviews um, and you can get involved and read a little bit about them and then ask questions that I will pose to the guest. So you can really get involved and be part of the podcast. Uh, if this is your first time here, make sure you check out the previous episodes. You might well like uh, episode 10, Flo's Tiny House. There's an episode on Japanese clay plastering with Emily Reynolds. Earth Floors with Sukita Ray Krimmel. Lots of things all to do with building sustainability uh, and a kind of holistic side notes uh, on sustainability of yourself and of other interesting things. Please do subscribe if you're listening to this on the website. You can do that through the links to iTunes or Spotify or wherever you normally get your podcasts. So, Lloyd Kahn. I'm so very excited to share this conversation with you. And it really was a thrill to talk to Lloyd. His books have been so influential in my building career. I remember my initial training in Aprovecho in Oregon. And we'd always have Lloyd's books out on the table. And we'd spend many, many evenings pouring through the images and just absorbing all of that inspiration. And I don't actually know a single natural builder that hasn't been hugely inspired by his books. He really has shaped a generation of builders and inspired us to look at form and materials and construction. So if Lloyd's name is new to you, then I suggest you head over to shelterpub.com, which is the Shelter Publications website, and have a look through all of the books that are available there. I can highly recommend getting hold of any of those books 
the Tiny Homes book was especially influential in my life uh, and homework. Um, and Lloyd does say that the sales of books has really dropped off in recent years. So if you do know anyone that's interested in building Christmas is Coming, maybe you should get them a book. Uh, and hopefully that will keep Lloyd producing more of his wonderful books. Um, that is about it from me. Oh, I do need to tell you that there are a couple of swears in this episode and also some drug references. Right, I'll be back at the end. Enjoy the conversation. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In 1958 to 1960, I, was, I ran a newspaper in the Air Force on an Air Force base in Germany, the Sembach Jet Gazette. And, um, and then in 1960, I got out of the Air Force and I worked as an insurance broker in San Francisco for five years. Until in 1964, I started smoking pot. And so that was pretty much the, the key to ending my business career. And in 1965, I took a what you might call a vision quest. I, I, I rode, on, rode the rails partly, you know, jumped on freight trains and hitchhiked across the country. And uh, it, it, that was at the height of a very exciting time in 1965 when everything was changing really fast. And I spent a month and I came back to San Francisco and I quit my job. And I went to work as a, I worked as a carpenter for about 10 years. And then I got into building domes and um, I built domes for about five years. And I was kind of the person that they came to when they wanted the, you know, the press life magazine. My dome was in life magazine and um, the, the dome that you lived in. Well, I, I lived in a couple of domes. I, I, the first dome, the first dome I built was, I, I built a house in Big Sur, which is a, um, an, a, a, a kind of a well-known area south of San Francisco with high mountains and, and waves breaking on the 
uh, rocky beaches and I built a house down there and then I built a dome as a workshop. That was the first real size dome I built. And then for, then I moved to a, um, a, a so-called alternative high school campus uh, in the mountains, in the Santa Cruz mountains. And for two years, we built, we built 17 geodesic domes there over the course of two years. And then I left there and I came to the town where I now live and I built a dome here, which was a really nice looking dome. Um, and, that and, and that was the last dome that I built and I decided to sell it. I, I, I took it apart and sold it and then built the house that we now live in. So anyway, um, so I, 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 I guess I worked as a builder for about 10 years, and then I ended up working on the whole earth catalog, which um, I recommend all young people look it up on Wikipedia because it was such an important thing in the 60s. And I was the shelter, I became the shelter editor. And <laughs> the whole earth catalog had, um, it, it, it listed all the things that people were interested in then, you know, building your own house, making your own shoes, organic gardening, communication with dolphins, um, you know, uh, science fiction, just all the many things that were very exciting to people in the <coughs> countercultural revolution. So I worked on that book and I learned how to make books. And then the first two books that I published were on dome building. So that's how I got into publishing. And so I've been a publisher now for about 50 years. And I kind of, I have wear a lot of different hats. I'm a publisher. I'm also a writer and a photographer and an editor. And uh, in a small company like ours, um, we have to do a lot of different things. And um, so I, I may be coming to the end of a, of a, you know, a, of a um, of a trail here where uh, we we have we've been we've been in the we haven't been making any money for the last three years and I don't know if it's just maybe you know maybe after all this time it's okay well time to do something else I, I don't know I'm I'm doing one more book for sure which is called Rolling Homes and um, and 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 I'm really excited about that we we did a book called Tiny Homes on the Move about six years ago and it was um called subtitle was wheels and water and so the wheels part of it was um uh the vans pickup trucks with campers house buses trailers uh and the water part of it was houseboats and sailboats so now we're doing another book on nomadic uh rigs and um we're um and there's an awful lot of information out now on, especially vans. And so, but our book, I, just yesterday, I put up a post on my Instagram account of a, a nice camper on the back of a pickup truck with a copper roof and portholes in it and said, we're doing this new book. Do you have any unique vehicles? And I'm swamped this morning. I've got like 15 people have sent me, you know, really interesting vehicles that are not like any of the stuff that I see in the books that are out now on the subject, like van life. So anyway, that's what 
so bringing it all, you know, around to, um, you know, being an insurance, being a newspaper editor and then an insurance broker and then a builder and then the building got me into publishing. And so, so now we've done since shelter, we've done eight or nine books on building. Um, they're all, each one of them has about a thousand photographs in them. And uh, the book homework, which came out in 2004 was actually the sequel to shelter uh, 40 years later. And a lot of the, uh, buildings and homework were inspired by shelter. And so then these different, and we call it the, the shelter uh, library of building books. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and the, the other thing that I've done in publishing is for 20 years, I did books on fitness, um, including the book Stretching by Bob Anderson, which has sold 3 million copies. And a book on running and a book on weight training. And uh, so that was, I think that was my karma uh, to, uh, I can explain things in simple terms to people. And uh, I could explain these guys, I could explain lifting weights or running. Uh, and so that, that, and those books have really financed our other books. Uh, the stretching book has been half of our income for 40 years now. And um, it's like um, Vittorio De Sica was a filmmaker um, before your time, um, he, um, and he, he made films in Italy and he also, uh, acted in films in Hollywood. And so, and he was a very handsome guy and he, in one movie, he was in one movie with Ingrid Bergman and they were technicolor movies, kind of light romantic comedies and he'd make a lot of money and then he'd go back to Italy and he did films like The Bicycle Thief, which was a scratchy black and white film which a lot of people consider the best film of all time so I kind of think of that and you know the fitness books have paid for these other books the building books which really don't pay for themselves and so that's worked up until now but I don't know if that's going to work from now on oh well I, I hope you find a way because the I mean, the building books yeah, uh, yeah. they've they've inspired not only me but I yeah I don't know a natural builder that isn't massively inspired or hasn't you know you you find them on their coffee tables and uh and yeah 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 that's great yeah so um so i'm interested to know um you know you you when you became a builder what was it what was it that drew you to to using your hands um well when i was 12 my father built a house up in the well, he bought some land and, and uh, converted it into a rice farm uh, in the Sacramento Valley. Uh, he had the 488 acres, and, um, and so he built a house out of concrete blocks. Uh, it was eight miles out of town. And so my job when I was 12 was to shovel sand and gravel and cement into the concrete mixer. And, um, and I liked doing that and it was real hot. We'd go up and work on weekends and, um, and then we, we poured the floor, concrete floor, foundation floor. And, uh, we had a a couple of stonemasons came and, and laid the blocks for the wall. And we put rebar in the blocks and poured grout in the blocks so that it was really strong. And then, then came time to put the roof on and, uh, we were putting the roof on the carport 
and they gave me a, a cloth a carpenter's apron and a hammer and nails and uh, I got to go up and nail down the uh, sheathing on the roof and that was kind of a big one of those moments you know when I, I thought I was up there the sun was shining and I liked the smell of the wood and pounding the nails in felt really good and so that was I think that was you know I thought I really like doing this and then when I was 18, I got a job working on the docks in San Francisco as a carpenter uh, for a shipwright. It was rough uh, carpentry. We would, the ships would come in when San Francisco was actually a port town in the 50s and not, and not a tourist town. Uh, the ships would come in and they would load up with cargo in the holds of the ships, which were in the center. And then we would go in with uh, wood framing and, 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 um, frame in the, the, the cargo so that it didn't shift around. And so that, so that, so I worked a couple of years doing that. And then when I got out of the air force in 1960, we had a, a piece of land about three quarters of an acre in mill Valley, which is a, a small town across the golden gate bridge from San Francisco. And, um, I started building and, uh, and so what I, I was an insurance broker, but I, I gradually started spending more and more time building, coming home, getting off work early, coming home and working till it was dark and working on the weekends. And then, so when I, by the time I quit the insurance job, I'd had a fair amount of building experience. And, and so I went to work as a builder then, and um, probably more as an owner builder, but I did work for other people. Uh, and, you know, as I say, for 10 years before I got into publishing. You were saying about uh, being on the, the roof. I, I distinctly remember the the first time I was uh, fixing a roof down on a, on a building I'd built. And there was something about, I think, being up high, uh, you know, being on a thing that you've made that's, you know, supporting your exactly. weight. Uh, it was, it's, it's a very empowering moment. And I, yeah, I can um, well, well relate. I find that when I, when I, when I step on the floor after I've, you know, I, I've done a lot of concrete work. So I, that's probably the part of building I understand best is the foundation and, and high concrete walls. And so, but when, when I, when I put down the subfloor, when I stand on the floor, that's like, wow, you know, I made this happen here. It's just a wonderful feeling. And it probably is, you know, in our genes, you know, uh, um, providing food and shelter. Yeah. And so, and I, I like it. I like working with my hands and I, and I like builders that the same way I like farmers. Um, you know, I've, I've never met a farmer that I, well, I know, I guess there probably are some, but I pretty much like all farmers and all builders because they're dealing with the real world. You know, they're not figuring out how to, how to, get the lowest price on pork bellies or options or you know they're not lawyers or money manipulators the farmers have to deal with the wind and the weather and the rainfall and, and the same thing with builders um you know and, and and a building i i tell people don't build a house based on an abstract concept like a dome you know there's no reason that you should put this geodesic dome which doesn't we know it's the same whether you're building it in alaska or or uh, kenya the same geometry without any consideration for the local conditions 
And so, um, you know, so that look around and see what has been done in your area and maybe consider that as a, as a starting point. But that even, even with the roundhouse, you know, I built a, um, I built a chicken coop here with a living roof, they call it. I used to call it sod roof, but it was really a lot of work to, to have that living roof. I mean, it, the, 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 the framing had to be much stronger. Um, and I was thinking, you know, I'm not so sure. I, okay, I like the living roof and everything, but if I had put up a, just a, a shed roof, I would be through by now. And so all those things, I come back to the fact that I've learned that as far as an owner builder goes, I want to get a shelter built that feels good and that is built out of local materials uh, and that is suitable to our needs, but I don't want to spend all my life doing it. If I build a seven-sided house or a, or a, you know, a, a, a cob house or um, any of these things that are, you know, uh, a living roof, it's going to really take me a lot longer. And so I kind of got back to thinking that here's what I want to do. I'm going to build a pretty simple stud frame house. Although I can't help myself because the last, the last little thing I did, a 10 by 10 building, I built it with a curved roof. And I'll tell you that curved roof was so much more complicated than just a, a shed roof. Although once I got it finished, it's finished for good and it's beautiful and feels really good. So, but I kind of backed away from a lot of what we did in the sixties where you, you designed, you, you, you built a house based on a concept and that concept may not have been practical. And so that I kind of got to the point, well, okay, if you want to build a, a, a house based on a stellated dodecahedron or uh, an ellipse or a curve or a sphere, you know, okay, you can do it, but it's going to take you a fuck of a lot of time. And for me, I want to get the house built and live in it and then get on with my life. So that's what I kind of tell people these <laughs> days, you know, and I've written about that. We have this book called The Half Acre Homestead. And in the back of that book, I wrote something that it, it could actually be in more than that book. But it's here's what I would do nowadays if I were to looking back on, you know, 60 years of building. Here's here's my experience. And. And I hope that this is useful to you, Yeah. you know, and I could have saved myself a lot of time, you know, if I, if somebody had pointed this out to me back then. <laughs> we'll be back after a quick break. Hey there, I'm Mick from the Mick and Pat show. That's right. And I'm Pat looking for a podcast. That's like catching up with old friends. Well, you're in luck. We're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at The Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. I think that's really funny because I think... uh... So much of what's inspiring in your books is is those labors of love, those uh, you know extreme yeah. things that have obviously taken a long, long time and, and been really detailed and 
you know have used like the crazy branches or or something really sort of yeah intricate and then having you know spent your life uh sort of documenting and seeing all this you're you've you're you're sort of for yourself you'd say yeah we'll go simple well you know there's a lot of simple stuff and people tend to uh think of the of the uh unique buildings in these books but the heart of shelter was tiny homes in the middle of the book we drew five little houses we drew every stick of wood in the house every stud every rafter every joist uh a flat roof a shallow gable roof a steep gable roof a shed roof and a round building and um and and we said then uh you know if you're gonna build on a piece of land build a little place like this uh to camp out in or if you don't have an airstream trailer you know the best thing very best thing to do if you have a piece of land would be to live on the land for a year and watch where the wind comes from and where the sun sets in the winter and then decide how to build your house but there are there are really some very simple buildings in all of our books and the most and and there are some very fanciful creations that's true but in the latest book we did um well the 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 one before the half acre homesteads called small homes. There's a lot of very simple uh, things in there. You know, uh, people fixing up old houses. Uh, a guy in Kansas fixed up his garage and moved into it and was and rented his house out. And it's not anything fancy, you know. It's just, but it's, you know, things like that. Or uh, uh, two families in San Francisco bought a home together in the most you know, high-priced real estate market in the world, and turned it into a duplex uh, legally with the city. So if you have two people buying a house, it cuts your cost in half, right there. And an, or a guy in Los Angeles who bought a house for two hundred thousand dollars, which is ultra cheap in L.A., and which was falling apart, and fixed it up. You know, so and those aren't fanciful, you know, things. And so. Um, so anyway, in the in the back of the half acre homestead, I said, okay, you know, and here's what I would do if I were starting from scratch. And and actually, I would love to be starting. I'm 85 years old now, and I would love to start from scratch, and um, you know, and and be, and and do all these things that I've learned. But I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to do that. Um, the thing is, I'm I'm really happy with where we live because we're on the ocean, and um, and it's so expensive, but our place we've never borrowed any money from the bank and we've never paid any rent and so and we could sell our house for a lot of money but there's no place that we could go mm -hmm. uh, where we would be able to live on the ocean unless we go way north where it rains a lot so i'm kind of stuck here so i don't think i'll get to build another house so all i can do is say to people you know here's what i would do if i were to start over sure you know? um so I mean, I'm interested, uh, especially hearing that, to to know how how did you get into to domes? Like, what was because that's that's very, very yeah, very much the opposite. Uh, that's well, well, we used to go and listen to Buckminster Fuller uh, in um, I'd say maybe in the '63 or so, and he was definitely the inspiration 
and it sounded good. And uh, I never did well in mathematics. And so a geodesic dome is based on an icosahedron. And I learned that that was one of the five basic solids, you know, a, a, a tetrahedron, octahedron, cube, dodecahedron, icosahedron. So for me, that was really exciting to, it was kind of like a visual way to understand geometry. So that part of it was really fun. And, um, and then we got the mathematics. When I was living in Big Sur, um, the only, they're called chord factors, the mathematics for the dome, uh, structural members, the struts, and the angles to cut them at were hard to find. There was a um, uh, popular science had a, uh, an issue one year uh, called the sun dome and they gave the measurements. And so a bunch of us built domes using those measurements. And I started with models and it was really fun. I loved doing it, you know, and, and I still, I'm, I'm indebted to domes for my um, interest in, in, you know, geometrical shapes. It led to other things. So that was part of it. And then it seemed like um, Fuller talked about this being a way to house humanity, that it was a more efficient way to uh, utilize materials. It turned out to not be true, um, but we thought, you know, a lot of things we were turning the world upside down. We, we were uh, looking, you know, Timothy Leary said, um, turn on, tune in, and drop out. So what he meant was smoke some pot or take some acid and take another look at reality. Take, you know, you know, shake, you know, get out of, get off your left brain into your right brain, and look at the world with uh, uh, increased um, uh, understanding, and uh, and and so once you've done that, then tune in, meaning look around at the state of things, which we did. Things were pretty stagnant, and then and drop out, you know, and and and. And drop out, quit what you're doing, and do something else. And that was pretty, pretty much true. So you know, we were we were looking around at ways to organic farming came out of this time. There were a lot of really good things: ecology, uh, political awareness, uh, communication with dolphins, um, doing stuff for yourself. All those things were. There was a period there in the '60s and '70s when. It was so easy to get by in America and probably in Europe. Uh, it was so inexpensive to live that you could try stuff out. It's totally different now. I mean, in 1971, I bought my land here for $6,000 and the building permit was $200. Well, you get a building permit now, it's $50,000 where I live, Oof. you know, for the coastal and the but it doesn't matter because everybody's a millionaire that's building so they don't care so um, so the domes were the domes were part of that looking at the world and thinking of ways we could do things better and um, and so my kind of my role in um, in I tried to make domes be as um, um, aesthetically acceptable as possible, to not just be 
plastic and metal, but to have rugs in them and plants in them. And that's kind of what I did. And the dome, the dome that I built here uh, was uh, covered with shakes, which I split from redwood, uh, driftwood I got from the beach. And I, I really, I think it was the most beautiful dome ever built in the world by far. It was really pretty. It was used wood and the connectors inside were silver looking and um, uh, and yet it was, you know, it was just too frustrating because I couldn't add on to it. I couldn't subdivide it. Uh, and uh, and I, 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 I don't know if I mentioned this, but if people are interested in domes, if they go to our website, shelterpub.com, um, and scroll down to the bottom to domes, you'll see I wrote a thing called Refried Domes uh, years later. It was basically, it was a newsprint publication, and it said, okay, you want to build domes. Here's all the reasons I think that they don't work, but also here are the mathematics. If you want to, you know, I'm not going to So if you want to do it, do it, but here's why you should. Awesome. And so I, you know, I, I think I, I really, I really got into publishing now that I think of it because back in the 60s, so I discovered domes. That was a big thing. And, uh, and people started writing me letters asking me for the uh, map. So I'd write them letters back and I'm thinking, well, I'm writing the same letter over and over again. Why don't I just print something, you know, in a mimeograph machine. And while I'm at it, why don't I throw in the stuff that I have learned about organic farming and gardening and uh, kerosene lanterns and, um, uh, you know, uh, 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 science fiction novels like Dune and Stranger in a Strange Land and Zen Buddhism. And then, and but I'll throw that stuff in when I print this up. And, and at that point, I met Stuart Brand, who was assembling the whole Earth catalog, which was basically, he was way ahead of me. So anyway, I didn't do that. But the reason I got into publishing was because I was, it, it's easier to put it into print rather than to just go through the same thing over and over again with people sure. so with people now i do you know well what's wrong with domes you know i get that when i do a presentation on a book that subject will come up and i'll tell them oh well it's all roof and they tend to leak and you can't subdivide them but i'll try to get them to look go read what i've written about it because it's a much more uh, uh, well thought out um answer to all your questions. Mm -hmm. So, um, so, you know, a thing is um, when, so Dome Book 2 had sold 160,000 copies and uh, I, I had a, an epiphany that um, uh, I didn't want to be telling people how to build domes because they didn't work just so I could sell the book. So I took the book out of print and my agent said to me, are you crazy? And I said, no, I don't want any more domes on my karma. And so that's when I went out and did shelter. You know, said, hey, look at all these other ways to build, you know, and we're just smart ass, you know, you know, hippies thinking that we're going to, you know, that we're going to revolutionize housing. Seems like you shifted from this sort of looking forward, looking at something very space age, and then shifted to looking back at, you know, what, what had been built and how. Yeah. Well, you know, when we, when we did Dome Book 2, 
we, we borrowed the production equipment of the Holard catalog, which was a, the type was set on a, on a typewriter sort of called a, an IBM composer. It cost like $9,000 for this typewriter. And it was, you know, the selectric typewriters, they have a ball, yeah, a ball, you know, hit ball. So, so that was how we set, how we did the typesetting. And when you wanted to change from Roman to italic, you change the ball in the typewriter. And then we had a Polaroid camera. And so anyway, we took all this equipment and we rented an old uh, resort on a lake in the mountains in, in Southern California. We went out to this lake, probably about eight of us, uh, to, to work on this book for a month. And as we were driving out to the resort in the van, I was looking at these buildings. We're gonna do a book on domes. I'm looking at these buildings by the side of the road. They were chicken coops and barns, and, and that's so simple. Those guys, they put up a vertical wall, and then they built a roof that was one plane on top of that. And here we're doing these domes with struts with dihedral angles and trying to seal them. And that was a big revelation to me. And, you know, and, and it was kind of good. I think what you said there, something about when you, you know, you, you, you make a wrong choice and then when you figure out that it's wrong and you figure out the right way to do it or a lot of better ways to do it, it makes more of an impact. And so having spent five years with mathematics and, and plastics and vinyl and things like that, then going to England and going to the building museums like the Weald and Downland mm. uh, Museum in Sussex, um, where a, a, good, a good friend of mine, an architect, was managed that museum for decades. And these beautiful buildings and, and looking at how the buildings were built, uh, you know, the Waddle and Dolph. There was one house that was, they were reconstructing this beautiful uh, farmhouse where they had the, you know, the Waddle, uh, which was interwoven branches, and they were plastering it with mud and straw and horse shit. And, um, you know, seeing all those things, it gave me a, a, a really, a, an, I think, an increased appreciation for, for building, for real building. And, and, uh, and so then, and, and, it, and then it, it, so it kind of boosted me and set me off on a career of, of uh, showing people all these different ways of building. And, and, you know, so that's, lar I've been doing that for a large part of all this 50 years. And I love doing it, you know, going out and talking to builders and, and photographing them and interviewing them. And, and so, you know, now I'm, I'm kind of doing it again, maybe our last book, I don't know, on, on uh, people living in, in vans and trucks and houses and, you know. Ah, for me, uh, domes uh, were, well, they were, they were sort of, very much part of the my my beginning into building i was uh i stayed in a, a small town in in central bc uh called dunster and uh and this it's called dunster uh up near near sort of jasper uh area and uh the 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 house i stayed in the owner's uh teenage son had built uh probably about a 13 foot dome and i saw this thing and i thought it was just so wonderful and then a little bit mm -hmm. later, I got to stay in a, a thirty foot dome that was that was someone else down the down the way, and it it the feeling of it 
felt felt incredible and i they those were both built yeah. built from uh dome book uh and yeah so yeah it was it was really really exciting to me and and then i sort of trundled off on on this this journey and then ended up very much heading down into a natural materials and and i i was thinking about this on the way home today and i thought how interesting that uh, we've we've sort of paralleled each other in that way and then I realized it's not that we paralleled, it's that I've followed what, what you've, what you've uh, kind of shown me. Yeah, yeah, P- people can follow my checkered career. <laughs> you know, let, let me just say one thing. Um, so back in the 60s and 70s, you know, they say the 60s happened in the 70s, which is partially true. I mean, but the 60s happened in the 60s and the 70s. But what that means is that a lot of the, the concepts and the ideals of the 60s were carried out in the 70s. And that, that really was the case for, for uh, Leslie and me here. Um, uh, I lost my train of thought there, uh, 60s and 70s. Oh yeah, um, so back then, the kind of the, one of the standard um, visions for people would be to find 10 acres in the country and to build your house on it. And uh, Adobe in the desert, uh, wood in the uh, Northwest, um, and um, straw bale and, you know, warm climates or whatever. And um, nowadays, I think that if I were a young person and I tell this to people, maybe, okay, if you can find land in the country to build on, that's fine. But an alternative to that is to find a small house in a town or a city in a rundown neighborhood. Maybe the crack dealers have just moved out of the neighborhood you know, and, 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 and fix it up because you've got, you know, and people are doing this um, because if the foundation is good, you've got power, sewer, and water already. You don't have to start from scratch. You don't have to build a septic system and, 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 and fix it up. And maybe you can get an area where a few other people would uh, buy little houses in that neighborhood and fix them up. And you have a community vegetable garden or do what the people did in San Francisco, two people buy one house, or, you know, so I think that those are really good alternatives for people who are looking to create their own shelter. And, you know, in the internet era, I think, I, I can't, I really, where I live around here, I can't think of one person who's building their own house right now. I mean, in the 70s, there were like 35 of us around here that were building our own house. So I, I don't know anybody that's doing that. I think that if you get, you know, out away from the desirable cities, then there's certainly more, um, more possibilities of doing that. And there are people who are starting from scratch. But um, I, you know, like I have a friend who bought a house that was um, in bankruptcy or something in Oregon for $120,000. Now, you know, where I live, that's nothing. Because like a, there's a teardown house in this town that's on the market for $800,000 where you're going to have to tear the house down. And, and start, you know, so, so you, if you can buy a house for $120,000, of course, you know, in this small town, which is the town of Calusa in the Sacramento Valley, of course, it gets to be over 100 degrees there in the summertime and you don't have the Pacific Ocean, but still. So anyway, that's just one thing that I try to get across to people nowadays. If you're thinking of trying to create your own shelter, maybe 
you know, look around at, at small houses that you could fix up. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you know, and you're not going to find them in San Francisco or Los Angeles or Manhattan or Philadelphia, you know, but you're, you know, look around in other, other places, other cities, you know, Detroit, you know, where there's a, a huge amount of house homes in Detroit that are abandoned. You can buy them for $10. And, uh, of course, there's no water or sewage in those neighborhoods, but still, you know, that, that's a, So anyway, that's a, that's kind of a, an alternative that I, like to get across to people as a, as a possibility these days because if you if you can build your own house and live in it 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 just makes such a big difference in your life mm -hmm. if I think about the money I haven't spent uh, making payments to a bank or rent it's, it's, it's you know it's completely changed my life and I think it's it's I think it's still possible to do that yeah I think it's uh, it's definitely more difficult but uh yeah i think you just need to be super inventive now well you know the other thing is to, to not you know what we realized we tried to make a living farming back in the 70s and we and, and the idea was you'd be self-sufficient and i realized you can't be self-sufficient you can't grow your own wheat you know you can't do your own dental work and so there's some things that you have to depend on other people for so the point is to aim for being as self-sufficient as possible you know, and if you live in an apartment in Manhattan, grow chives and parsley on your fire escape. It just do something, uh, you know, whatever it is. If you're renting an apartment, you fix it up or, um, you know, do as much for yourself as you can and, and move in that direction. You know, even if you don't do what we did here, which I mean, and what we did here, people come here, you know, OK, we've been here 50 years now and it looks pretty good to them. They don't understand how much time it took and how much effort it took to get this all up and running. Yeah. So, so uh, tiny homes is, uh, I mean, that's a, a way that people are, are getting to, to build a, a house, uh, going very, very small. Um, and you've, you've, your, well, your, your book, tiny homes, it feels to me like the, one of the most influential books I, I read. Um, what what do you think it is or what what drew you to, to tiny homes why did you think it was an interesting topic to to make a book about well it there was a book called tiny houses by an architect called lester walker that probably came out in the 80s or 90s and it the, the idea caught on about i don't know 10 years ago and i think the i think it caught on because it caught on especially during the uh, economic downturn, when things got really, you know, expensive uh, after that downturn, and every, all the houses were getting bigger and bigger, and so it, it had its moment, and everybody, you know, uh, there were a few, there were a few people who, like uh, one guy named Jay Schaefer, who sort of were at the spearheading that movement, and there was an article in the New Yorker on him and the concept of tiny homes. And so I think the important part of that movement was that the moving in the direction of getting smaller, not that I don't think a whole lot of people are going to live in a 120 square foot living space, especially if it's a couple, you know, I mean, if you're a couple, maybe you each need your own tiny home, but, I think that it, it just was such a powerful 
image and 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 also the the photographic uh, the photography they're very photogenic a tiny home you can you can see what's going on there and so for a lot of reasons and then we hit that one right on the you know with when we came out with tiny homes was um, 2010 or something 2012 um, right at the the height of the of the excitement of there were tv shows most of them phony and um the, the the you know it was a lot of interest and so so that i think that that was a and, and the, the another thing is um we printed these little tiny books that are two by two inches i don't know if you've seen those i've, I've never uh, held one but i've i've seen images yeah okay well i should send you a few of them so little tiny children uh, look at the tiny books on tiny homes, and a lot of them will look at every page in the book because they can understand it. So there's a lot of really good reasons that, you know, the tiny homes caught the fancy of the public, mm -hmm. and they still are. You know, but we did, the, so our book, Tiny Homes, was uh, under 500 square feet. I, and then we did the book, Small Homes, um, several years later, which was 400 to 1200 square feet which is a lot more realistic mm -hmm. for people than a you know than a living in a remodeled Ford Econoline van and um, uh, so that was a in my mind a much better book but it didn't sell nearly as well as tiny homes because tiny homes is a, a buzzword and so yes uh, I think tiny homes sort of sparks some uh, I don't know it it, it it makes people excited, doesn't it? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And you can do it yourself. And if you put it on wheels, and you can move it. You know, if you have a disagreement with your landlord, and mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> so I worked out that the my boat is two hundred and thirty-six square feet of uh, of living space. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's your that's your walkable floor space, right? Yes. Yeah. It's. 36 wow Two, 236 is it is it a flat a barge uh it's a narrow boat yeah 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 built to carry coal or something or uh it's a it's a newer one than that so it's uh it's not sort of a traditional old coal one it's yeah built as a you have a motor that you can, can you move it around with a motor yes yeah i've wow. taken it on some some nice big trips it's uh it's it's really a joy. I mean, there's there's definite uh, downsides, and you have to really be on top of uh, stuff. You know, if uh, if you let yeah. clutter build up, then it's. Uh, well, are, are are they opening up any of the canals in in England? I mean, there was quite a network of of waterways, right, in the old days. Yes, they they there's some which they're they're bringing back. They're recommissioning. Um, I think. Yeah. For a while, canals were not a not a desirable place to live they were you know, i think they were a bit yeah. dark and you know there was lots of dark corners and people were a bit afraid of them but i think now the trend of people wanting to live by some water means that they're they're suddenly very desirable and the, the house prices around canals goes right up so you have to pay a fee for docking uh we, if you move around you can move around uh well if every two weeks you move then you don't have to pay a fee. So it's rent-free? It's rent-free uh, to a certain extent. There's insurances and licenses and yeah, you know, 
but yeah it, it only works for a, a certain type of lifestyle uh it used to work for me and i could move around all the time and you know that that suited my life uh but now I, i'm stationary now and i'm i'm moored up you know, because i i just couldn't keep coming back to the boat to move it or, or you know i was away a lot so it's a it's a lifestyle yeah. for sure um so you you've obviously met lots of people who lived uh in these these homes I want to ask you about you know the people that build their own homes and uh if if you think there's a i don't know a happiness that they have that that you don't find elsewhere or if there's something that sort of ties them together i guess i i don't know i um i mean they're all over the map um I mean, some people are happy some people are <laughs> divorced some people are sad i mean uh i think the same principles apply you know that if you can avoid a, a, a bank loan a mortgage or rent you know that's going to really change anybody's life mm-hmm. uh i think that people one of the things that um it's occurred to me all along especially you know since computers came along is that the computer isn't going to build your house for you that's one thing that you need your hands for and you need a hammer and a saw i mean it might be an electrical saw and a pneumatic hammer but still you know machines aren't going to build your house even though people try to do that but they're pretty disastrous looking so it's a kind of comforting in this you know highly digitized age that you know some things are you know uh you know the 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 old is new again yeah uh, in a certain way you know like they're discovering that um digital recording of music is is lacking in soul whereas when they recorded with tapes and and vinyl there was there was something there was something that they got that that isn't obtainable when it's all in bits you know black and white off and on no shadings in between and uh so um it it is nice to i think to discover that you know here we are in the age of google and facebook and yet you know uh mark zuckerberg isn't going to build your house for you <laughs> i hope not yeah i guess uh well i've wanted to ask about uh your your sort of your favorites uh i wondered if there's a, a favorite uh well builder uh building well um um there's a house it's been burned down but it was my favorite uh so this this is a house so your 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 listeners can't see this but i'll uh, i'll find a picture of it for you okay this is a house built by lloyd house mm-hmm. um this one here in builders of the pacific coast okay so it's a house that's on page um 36 and 37 so that that was just absolutely the most perfect beautiful house and then another one that comes to mind there's two places that come to mind that house and then the uh, shop of my friend louis um which was based this is in uh, homework um and that little building there uh-huh uh, there's a nice story behind this building um and because he built he built that building based on a drawing a painting in shelter 
of a man down earth lodge. So I would say those two places are just perfect, you know, perfect in many ways. They're the kind of places like when I saw that one of Lloyd houses up on a, it's on an island in British Columbia. I just sat down. I was just sort of took my breath away. Uh, it was, it was everything about it was just, you know, a delight. Yeah. And so, so right, you know, and, and so there are, you know, Sunray Kelly, I mean, Bruno Atke, these builders that I've run across, uh, they, they, you know, there are just here and there, there's just buildings that are just, you know, every, everything is working, mm -hmm. you know, er, everything looks right. Everything works well. Everything is a delight to the eye, uh -huh. you know, to the soul. <laughs> so there's, there's some sort of harmony that, that's tying it all together. Yeah. 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 I mean, Lloyd House, he, he would build, sometimes he would find a piece of wood. He found a piece of driftwood and, and, um, and that piece of wood dictated his design for this building that he built, a kind of a, a shed retreat for some people. Uh, and um, Louis, well, like Louis's house, Louis's workshop did come from this um, Indian lodge. And also the way he treated the roof on it came from a, um, a photograph of an Iron Age hut that's in uh, shelter that I took in a building museum in England where the thatch rose up over the door and came back down. And so he copied that curve with his uh, shop. And so anyway, you know, um, another house that comes to mind is also in shelter. It was a, a falling down house in a field um, somewhere maybe in the Cotswolds. And, you know, driving along and see this house, the framework was still there. And it just, you know, just it was like a bolt of lightning. And I stopped the car and went over there and walked into it. And I, I felt like it. So the, it was kind of falling apart, but I could still walk up the stairs to the loft. And it was a waddle and daub, uh, half timber frame house that was the weeds were taking over. But I could feel the life of the people that had lived there. I mean, it was, you know, that was, and so I do have these moments. I'll have moments with barns sometimes. Well, I'll be in a barn and it'll just be an overwhelming sense of uh, rightness. You know, everything is working here. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. Don't get me started here. A uh, uh, barn up in Oregon. I, I saw this barn. It, there's a, it's called the Willamette Valley in Oregon, which is south of uh, Portland. It's a big, beautiful uh, agricultural valley. And uh, the, the, so what you find, barns are one of my favorite, you know, types of, maybe my favorite type of building anywhere in the world. And um, so you find that in a certain area, in this area, the barns had curved roofs. And there's some builder and the farmer would see a barn built by this builder and he'd say, hey, can you build me one of those? So I saw this building, uh, this barn with a curved roof and I went over and there was a, a guy next door in a wood shop. He said, yeah, you can go in. So I went inside and 
again, I was just stunned by the framing of this barn because it was framed with one inch lumber that was sandwiched together in a way to get the curves. And so I shot pictures in there and, and I was just in heaven, you know, and this, everything was so right. You know, the, 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 the color of the wood, the spacing of the rafters, the shingles, you know, so I, I, I definitely do, I do fall in love with buildings like the same way I fall in love with places sometimes, you know, there'll be a place, a canyon or a beach or a hill, there'll be something very special about it. And, there, and, and sometimes builders pull that off. And then very often it'll be in barns where they're, where they're trying to be practical. You know, they're not architects trying to do something that looks contemporary or is the latest fashion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, the, the way you've described that roof, it reminds me of uh, the, the sort of Bill Copperthwaite uh, way of, of, Oh yeah. You know, he used a lot of uh, dimensioned, quite thin boards, didn't he, to create his yurts? Well, his, yeah, it's yurts. I, I visited him. I stayed for a, maybe half a week at his place in Maine there and he, yeah, I mean, he he did, he was a wonderful guy, and um, and he was um, very tuned into the old ways of doing things like making spoons. And uh, he, he he did a book uh, ten years ago or so. And um, yeah, he, yeah, he left a, a great legacy behind. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that year he lived in the, the multi-story. Uh, uh, that yurt. Yeah, to call it a yurt doesn't really sort of bring the, the picture to mind for, for people listening at home. It's Yeah, that was quite a building. It's like a temple. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, I really, I really kind of wish I had built, when, when I had what we called circle madness, uh, I wish I had built yurts instead of domes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they were a lot more natural. Well, and you know Sunray Kelly? Yes. You know who Sunray Kelly is? Mm -hmm. Okay, pretty much everything he builds is a yurt structure with a, 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 a ring in the center and uh, uh, a tension band on the outside walls connected. So that, I mean, that's the way the Mongolian yurt is done and, and Sunrays and Bill's yurts were that way. And Sunrays, even his big buildings, the beautiful, oh yeah, there was another beautiful building that's gone now, was the temple he built at the Harbin Hot Springs and it was destroyed in the fire. But it was a large, large building with the same thing, a circle in the middle, and a, a cable around the outside and the connection of the tension and compression uh, was a brilliant you know going to the back to the mongolian yurts mm -hmm. or gurs as they're called well, i mean what is it or well, why people are drawn to to building circular buildings and being in circular buildings i i don't know um i mean i think that there's i mean your head is spherical in a way <clears throat> it's kind of so it's kind of like a <clears throat> equidistant from your head is a circle a circle i mean de circles definitely do feel different to be inside there's no corners for energy to die out in <coughs> um and i mean and there are domes that i do like there's a dome i think it's in uh builders of the pacific coast there's a dome on an island in british columbia that's a beautiful little dome it's covered with shingles and you know, there are domes that I do like, and, and I, I still get a good feeling inside them. Um, I think that, uh, if, but if for a circle, I think you can't beat a teepee. Uh, 
And, um, and that was another one of the things that happened to me when I was in the middle of my dome building career is I spent a night in a teepee. And, um, we, and I had started having my doubts about domes with all the leaking problems and everything. And so I was sleeping in this teepee and the moon was out and I was lying there looking up at the moonlight coming through the canvas and the, the poles of the teepee were just kind of, you know, at just, they, they weren't engineered or measured or anything. They were just, you know, connected. And so looking at the moonlight and the unevenness of the poles was just this way better feeling than being in a geodesic dome. And it was a circle. And so there, there certainly is something going on with circles that, um, but as far as a home to live in, where you've got refrigerators and beds and stoves, uh, and you do, I do want to have more than one big open space. I do like having a bedroom be separate from the kitchen. And so if you want to subdivide your, uh, your home, you're in, you, you've got problems if it's a circle. If you want to, if you want to subdivide a dome, say I want to put a wall up, when you get, when you get over to the, the, uh, the, uh, the surface of the dome for your wall to, con to connect to it. You've got all these different angles to attach to. And um, if you want to add on to it, it's the same thing. You, you have to deal with all the angles of the roof changes. Whereas if I have a, a, a vertical wall and I want to add on to that vertical wall, I just put a roof off of it. You know, in other words, it's just one plane attached to and that's just one of the things about so okay yeah circles are great but but you know for meditation uh for a yoga studio for a music studio but if you're going to be cooking and sleeping and storing your clothes and maybe adding a little room on for a kid then i don't want a circle you know uh, you know actually we i have a my the remnants of a circle is i have a uh, a hexagonal tower here, three-story tower. It's a hexagon, and we sleep in the second story. Yeah. So that is a circle, and it's wonderful. You know, it is wonderful, even though, even though it's been a pain in the ass. Everything I want to attach to that tower is at an odd angle. <laughs> you know? So the so it's a, a pain in the ass, but yeah, the the feeling is is worth it. Yeah, some some things some things are are. Some things are really difficult, but when you, when you get them finished, okay, this is all right, you know. So everybody has to yeah you know, find their threshold, figure out their own balance, you know. Kind of walking between, you know, uh, abstraction and the, the ideal and reality and and uh, practicality. Everybody's going to have a different, you know, uh, take on how much of each to incorporate sure yeah how does it feel for you to to sort of know that so many that you've influenced so many uh so many people in so many buildings and, and that you're part of that that kind of development oh it's, it's great it's just it's just unbelievable i mean every day we're getting people writing and saying you know i was influenced by you you know i've been reading your book you know my parent my 
my parents had your shelter book when I was growing up. Um, so that sort of thing, you know, I mean, that makes it all worthwhile. If we can inspire people to do something for themselves. Uh, and that does seem to have worked over all the years. And so it's sort of, you know, I mean, really, it's just kind of, it's overwhelming, the feedback we've been getting. Yeah. It's very gratifying. Um, and so, well, to know that you've, you've influenced people, I'm, I'm interested to know what inspires you. I guess, you know, I mean, things that people do are inspiring. Um, I sort of, I consider myself a communicator, really more than a publisher, editor, photographer. And I like to go, I, I go around in the world and almost every day I see things that I think are just wonderful. You know, somebody has built a pickup truck camper or uh, somebody's got a display in a window in New York in Manhattan that's really well done or, you know, an architect has done something or a builder has done something or a photographer has taken a picture. I mean, all those things, I find those things inspiring and, and I like to tell people about what I see in the world. And, um, and I, you know, I, so every day is different. I wish I, I kind of, in a way, I wish I could just do a blog and make a living from doing it. Uh, the trouble is I, I've done 6,000 blog posts. It doesn't, there's no income from it. I'm not, I don't have enough of an audience to be an influencer, but I would love to do that. If I go out and hear, I remember like down in Mexico one time, um, we were eating at an outdoor restaurant. I was with my Mexican friend and there was a, a concrete block building across the road that was being built. A lot of, concrete block masonry in this part of Mexico and Baja is not very well crafted. These bricks were just perfect. The, the seams were, you know, everything really looked good. And the, and I, the builder was there. I met the builder. And I, so I said to the builder, I said, that's, you know, that's really good masonry there. And he was so surprised to have somebody notice it. But, you know, it's kind of, I love going around and seeing things like seeing excellence or seeing wonderful art or seeing something like that and then putting it up on my blog or putting it on Instagram or the long haul, getting it into a book. You know, like uh, I see a, I saw a pickup truck with a really nice camper shell two days ago downtown here. I took a picture of it, copper roof, put it up on Instagram. Did I tell you this already? And um, yeah. And so it, it produced, you know, so i I'm telling people I'm inspired by this and, and I'm communicating it to people and saying, you know, I mean, it's kind of almost one of the first things that comes to mind when I see something great is mm -hmm. how can I tell people about this? So I do, I find inspiration, yeah. you know, everywhere all the time. It's, it's great. It's, I've been, uh, yeah, reading your, your blog for a long time. It's, uh, it's always just a joy to see how many different things have, have captured you. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you another inspiring thing. Um, this uh, it's on Netflix. It's called the Octopus. The Octopus. Uh, the, my Octopus Teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's, there's something that's inspiring, you know. And, and yesterday, somebody sent me a, a video of a bobcat and a rattlesnake, and that was so incredible to see the way this bobcat dodged the rattlesnake strikes and finally killed it. You know, I mean, there's something every day. 
there's something inspiring every day if you just look around and and can and can use it for energy staying interested in the world and uh, and yeah yeah I've, i i feel like maybe you you've got uh, I, I think this is a compliment, but uh, you could a sort of like childlike view on the world when, oh, yeah. when you're you're still excited by things. I yeah. think that's that's really wonderful. Yeah, you never want to lose that, you know, being a boy, you know, or you know, being a well, you know, I've looked at babies. <clears throat> you know, if you look at a baby like a month old baby, and they look at you, they're really seeing you in a way that you can't imagine, because I think as you grow up, you start putting up these barriers, this armor, so that you don't look at the world. You know, when I first took LSD, I saw a flower breathing. Okay, that wasn't a hallucination. The flower was breathing, but I just never saw it before. And I think that that's the way babies look at the world when they don't have all the armor. They see things really the way they are. And so I think that's good to retain that, <clears throat> to not get so saddled down with, you know, uh, closing down your perceptions that you don't see the wonders uh, of daily life. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Oh, I've really enjoyed that. I hope you have done too. Massive thanks to Lloyd for taking the time out of his day. I actually sent Lloyd a link to my website before this conversation because uh, I wanted to show him a roundhouse that I led uh, the build for uh, with my old company, Hartwin. And he said this. Oh, you know, that that, that uh, uh, roundhouse you sent me is really nice. Oh, that thank you. Who, yeah, that's really a, I mean, that's the nicest one I've seen. Oh. Um, you know, a lot of those those houses like that are pretty funky. Yes. Uh, there's, there's someone in England that, that builds, uh, you know, round houses with dirt sod roofs that are don't look anything like this one, mm-hmm. you know, which is pretty pretty spiffy and and uh, you know together looking. Oh my goodness, that made my day. Oh, someone I hold in such high esteem, uh, saying such nice things about my work. Um, so I found it pretty interesting how Lloyd has developed from this extraordinarily technical dome building um, and as he says abstract homes to sort of recognizing the the benefits of simple materials but then also 
what he was saying about simple square straight buildings uh, and how they can benefit people. It's very much the opposite from what I took from those books. I was deeply inspired to to find natural forms and to take the extra time to to work with them because of the beauty that that it creates and it is harder um and and so i do i do equally see his point of view that especially in terms of cost to build if you keep the design simple if you keep the the edges straight um then it keeps the cost down um unless of course you're building your own home and in within that that you don't count your own time as a cost which you know maybe is a rarity these days um and certainly with the the rising costs of of building plots and and houses you know maybe it's it's good to be more focused on on building simple um so there is about 15 minutes of extra audio on the patreon site that is patreon.com forward slash building sustainability and in that lloyd talks about his trip to england uh, and some other bits and pieces which you might be interested in and just a final reminder that if you're new here subscribe check out the other conversations and until next time stay healthy <laughs>